that's the one that was really impactful for me. podcast how does that sound live it's awesome you like that oh yeah i've never Man. heard it live now never been like now you're it you yeah, heard it you I'm heard here. the intro this is it we got we got honestly i'd probably say a day one fan yeah day one a pre-day one fan because i've talked with you about podcasting for a couple years prior to starting cattle call yeah absolutely. you want to introduce yourself or you want me to do it oh yeah you got it man <laughs> michael thomas not the not the wide receiver for not, years. Not the wide receiver for the Saints. Unfortunately, yeah, it was Michael Thomas, and now it's like Michael Thomas, not Michael Thomas, but yeah. a cool Michael Thomas. You might have to put me as Mike Thomas on this podcast, Mike. just so you don't disappoint your fans. Yeah, what's your middle name? <laughs> Terry. Is it actually Terry? Okay, yeah. Mike Terry. Yeah, Mike Terry Thomas. Yeah, there you go. There we go, Michael. How are you? Doing great, man. Great to be here, dude. It doesn't get much better than this. It really doesn't, man. Look at what we're doing. Yeah, we are outside at. Oh gosh. What is it? Ten, about ten twenty. Yeah, about on a 10, Saturday 20. night. Yep. We we just had authentic Mexican dinner. <laughs> Very authentic. Fresh guacamole. Fresh guac. Yep. And Taco Bell power <laughs> menu bowls. That's what I was talking about when I fr- when when I meant real Mexican, like fresh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. it doesn't get much Taco fr- Bell. It doesn't get much fresher than that right there, man. <laughs> the power bowl. The power bowl, and we're smoking cigars and we're drinking whiskey. Yep. And we're recording a podcast. We are. Man. Michael, how are you? Doing great, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Longtime fan of the show, you know? Dude. You know. Yeah, you might be the first guy on who's actually like an, an avid cattle call and podcast listener. You're a big yep. podcast guy. I, I am a podcast guy, for sure. Yeah. Lo- love podcasts. Man, uh, what podcast do you like? Um, big fan of, obviously, the Joe Rogan Experience. I love JRE. Um, big fan of that. Um, but I also got a shout out to Stuff You Should Know in Atlanta. Uh, Chuck Bryant and Josh Clark, those guys are awesome. Uh, so gosh, out to them too. But yeah, love podcasts. Big podcast guy, Michael. What is it you do? What is it that I do? Well, before you sprained your ankle, <laughs> I, I am in a boot right now, um, which uh, is unfortunate. Um, well, I uh, I am uh, I, I coach at a CrossFit gym, CrossFit Nashville. Let's shout out to them real quick. Um, CrossFit Nashville. CrossFit Nashville. So if you don't know. Uh, yeah, CrossFit. Um, most people view it as a cult. Yeah, um, which is fair. That that's that that's okay. Um, you know, because people, most people don't know really what it is. Yeah. Um, it's basically it, it is a exercise methodology, which is uh, functional fitness, which is you're doing things um, that you would use in everyday life. Okay. Um, so you're not just, uh, you know, at the Y doing machines, you're actually doing free weights and machines that are, or you're doing free weights and not machines. So you're doing functional fitness. So, um, yeah, I I love CrossFit and I've been doing it for five years now. Man, five. Well, how'd you get into CrossFit? Um, so why? Um, my dad actually, um, it was so random. He, one night, this is after high school football. Um, so my high school football days were over. Um, so this is, um, the spring of my senior year of high school and I was not going to run track anymore because I really only ran track, um, for, for football. Okay. So, um, my favorite part of football was always the weight room always. And 
Um, my dad kind of knew that, and I, I did P90X uh, in January and February uh, of 2016 and uh, hated it. <laughs> hated really? every second of it. I thought it was so dumb, and, and uh, I, I didn't enjoy it really at all. But um, one night, my dad peeked his head in my room and said, Hey, I'm going to a CrossFit gym tonight. Would you like to come with me? And this is literally at like six thirty, seven o'clock at night. And I was uh-huh. like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, like, like I'm going. You want to come with me? So we go to CrossFit Nashville um, and we go to what's called the intro class. So you do three intro classes before you actually jump into um, just your your regular CrossFit class. So we want to make sure that you have the basics, the fundamentals. We don't want you to hurt yourself. We want you to be well-educated on the movements. Um. But, uh, but yeah, and so we went there and, um, I hated it. I hated every second of it. I thought it was dumb. I was like, like, you know, I, but, but I walked in there with a pretty big ego. Like, you know, I'm a high school football player, really strong, ran track pretty fast. I'm in good shape. And I go in there and I do a 12 minute workout. That's all it was? 12 minutes. Wow. And it put me in the dirt unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my entire life. Was it one circuit at 12 minutes, or was it multiple circuits? It was literally, I think the workout was 12 rounds, a 200-meter run, something like, uh, I don't know, five uh, five pull-ups, um, something like 10 burpees and 15 air squats for, for time. Or so. I don't even recall what the workout was now, but um, yeah, it was just literally like one of the most basic workouts you can do. And I just remember I was crushed. I was just destroyed after it. And I was like, this is so dumb. I'm not even coming back for the next intro class. Well, I come back the next yeah. day, of course. And I keep coming back. And, um, you know, uh, I start CrossFit. And, you know, for the first few months, I did um, a class or maybe two a week. And um, and, and I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was... Um, it was much. It was much more of a humbling experience because I vividly remember um, a guy who was like in his thirties, and you know I'm a gosh, I think I was eighteen or nineteen at the time. Um, a guy who was in his like mid thirties, who was like a dad, just destroyed me in this workout. Did I he, mean, did he look ripped? No, he just looked like a regular. He looked man. like an. He looked like, like a minivan dad. He looked like your regular, um, average in shape male. Yeah, and he just destroyed me in this workout, and I mean, not even just kind of destroyed me, like I mean, big time. Yeah, like lapped me in whatever workout we were doing, and I remember thinking, like, this is just the dumbest. Yeah. This is the dumbest thing ever. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And there's something about just getting crushed like that that brings you into the door the next day. Yeah, it's it's a chance to get better. I mean, yeah, it's a challenge almost, like I had never felt before, and. So, you know, two times a week turned into three times a week, you know, and three times a week turned into a full-time membership, which is, you know, oh, wow. you know, uh, you know, five days a week minimum and, you know, whatever. And, uh, or, or, or it goes from three days a week to, to unlimited. Okay. So, so I got the unlimited, um, plan and, you know, I went from that to uh, within a year I was doing, you know, a little bit of extra stuff you know, trying to get better, you know, not just doing the class, not just doing the class wad. We call it a wad workout of the day for people who don't know what that is. And, um, it was super fun and I learned so much and was humbled so much in that first year. And, 
um, it's like an addiction, man. It yeah. really is. You just you just start it, and you're like, wow, I'm I, I, I you, you just feel so much better after that workout. You know, just that dopamine release when you're just like done. You're like, man, that that was just awesome. And I think that's why so many people buy into CrossFit and love it so much. It's just because a the community. Let's just yeah. talk about that first yeah. and foremost. That Please. is the that is before we talk about anything else in CrossFit. Let's talk about the community um, because that is the most important thing. Um, the community that we have is incredible. I mean, literally, some of my best friends in the world are my friends at CrossFit. It's not even close. And um, you know, it, it, there's something profound when you suffer with other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something that happens, and um, and I really, I really, really enjoyed enjoyed that from the beginning. Like, like those relationships that that grew over time. That was something that uh, I really. I really enjoyed. And now that I'm five years in, those relationships have turned into some of my best friends. And I could not be more thankful to CrossFit Nashville, CrossFit in general. Um, and uh, and, and it's, it is an, an amazing, uh, life-changing methodology if you choose to dive into it. So would you recommend somebody that wants to get into working out or wants to get back into working out and they're looking for a little bit of motivation – of doing something like CrossFit because you do have that community around you rather than you just waking up at 5.30 and going to the gym on your own and developing a community there? Here's what I would say. Community is the number one thing. Community is so important because um, one thing that um, I've heard um, a lot from um, the coaches at CrossFit Nashville whenever – um, you know, I, I, am a coach now. I coach at okay. CrossFit How Nashville. How long have you been a coach? Um, I started coaching, um, this past, uh, spring, I think. Okay. Um, but, um, I've really, really enjoyed, uh, coaching and, um, get, you know, you know, getting to know the members and helping them and like, you know, the, the reward of like getting someone their first muscle up and like that mm-hmm. kind of thing is just amazing. Um, but I mean, community is just so so important. Um, in, in in the hardest part is just getting in the parking lot most days. So um, what gets you into the parking lot is that community for me. Um, yeah. You know, on days that you're just sore, you feel terrible, you don't want to go into the gym, you're tired, you know, you, you had a bad day or something. But you know that you're going to pull into the parking lot and you're going to see those friends when you walk into the door. Mm-hmm. You're all going to suffer together. It's going to be fun. You're going to do it. Everyone's everyone. It's a collective effort. And uh, and, and that that's you know, that's what keeps a lot of people coming back, because you know what? If you if you worked out alone every day, there just wouldn't be that same spark. It just yeah. wouldn't be. Yeah. So if if I was talking to someone who's wanting to get back into shape or or, or whatever, I would say the number one thing you should look for is just find a workout partner, find a workout buddy. You don't have to go into a CrossFit gym. I love CrossFit, so I would recommend it to anyone. But I don't care if it's, um, you know, Pure Bar, Yoga, Orange Theory, CrossFit, or if it's just you finding your buddy and y'all go on morning runs in your neighborhood. You know, you, you and your neighbor go on morning yeah. runs. That That's all you need to find is that community and just take the first steps, take those baby steps. Um, and that's what you should focus on first. Um, you know, d- don't, don't try and dive into the deep end of the pool. Um, because you know, it, it's just not going to be fun. Um, that, that sink or swim is not fun. 
and a lot of people burn out. That's why the New Year's resolution people, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's why a lot of them burn yeah. out. You know, J- just take baby steps. You know, you're, you're, you know, don't go from zero to a hundred. You know, S- start start from where you're at. Gotcha. Now let's talk about what you did prior to this. Okay. So you just graduated from college. Correct. Yeah. And what did you go to college for? I was an uh, fitness and sports studies major. Yep. Um, so basically exercise science, but a little bit geared more towards the human body. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, kinesiology department, um, uh, super fun, enjoyed my major. Um, yeah. I uh, went to Lipscomb university, no complaints there. Not just Lipscomb university, you're Lipscomb through and through, man. I am. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I'm a lifer. Yeah. Um, I've, I've gone through Lipscomb. Uh, all through grade school, and I actually did end up going there t- for college as well. So yeah, I am I am a true lifer. Yeah, yeah. Except for what the one summer in Alabama. Correct. Yeah. So what'd you do there? Um. Yeah. So um. Not this past summer, but the summer before. Um. I was a strength and conditioning intern at the University of Alabama. Um. And um. What I did there, my main role was um. I was one of the strength and conditioning interns um, for the football program. Now, granted, I worked with um, some other programs on the side, uh, like track and field, even swimming and diving some, but it was mainly football. Um, And my main responsibility when I showed up um, was they put me with quarterbacks was my number one priority. Um, And I worked with Coach Josh Hampton, who was incredible uh amazing amazing coach um he is actually like the quarterback strength conditioning coach he was in charge of of them but then I also had tight ends and linebackers um throughout the day as well um but yeah so um I I did have the privilege of working with Tua and Mac Jones and uh Tua's younger brother who is now at Maryland and doing incredible right right yeah Talia he is uh he is an amazing amazing guy as well um, but yeah, Braxton Barker, who's still at Alabama, who is the uh, son of the of the '90s quarterback who who won them a national title. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it was a lot of fun getting to know all the guys on the team, and uh, and uh, it, it was a super fun experience. I had a lot of fun, uh, very very eye opening experience for sure. Did you uh, interact with Coach Saban at all? I did not. <laughs> no, not, not even like a handshake one time. Or no, um, I I did see. I mean, I mean, I mean, you see him. I mean, I mean, you, you'll see Coach Saban uh, from time to time. But I mean, when he walks in the room, it you know, it's 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 almost like Jesus walking in the room. <laughs> like, do, do you feel the air pressure change? You do before you see him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's like atmospheres of pressure that yeah. That, that yeah that, that enter the room along with Saban. Um, yeah, there's definitely you know, everyone kind of. <sighs> You know, you know, holds their breath when yeah. it, when he walks in the room. Uh, he is a polarizing figure, but man, does that guy love his players? Really? There, there is that is the one thing I can say from that summer is is man, those players would walk the plank for Coach Saban, and he would do the same for them. And that, I mean, that That's is great to hear. Yeah. it is it is a beautiful relationship he has with his players. Yeah, it is very very cool, very unique. Man, and so you kind of I would say you kind of have ties to the SEC through your family in yeah, a way. In a you, way. You have a very unique view of the SEC and especially football, college right. football as a whole. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want to talk about that? A little bit of your just your background and your family and all that. Well yeah. Um uh last year my dad retired from a twenty five year um very successful career as an SEC football official. Um he is a he was a headlinesman um 
and uh, yeah, you know, he had a great career. He actually had a national championship game. You know, uh, which one? He had the Oklahoma USC game with thunder and lightning. You know, back in the day, oh, I actually yeah. went to. I believe that was was it two thousand five uh, or maybe two thousand six. But it, it was it was um, it was awesome. I got to see you know Reggie Bush and. Uh, yeah. uh, Oh, oh gosh, Lindell White. Lindell White, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was amazing. Um, but uh, but yeah, he had the national championship game. Had an extremely successful career, um, and uh, yeah, he ended up retiring. He's a, he's a granddad now, so you know, <laughs> yeah, he is. You know that that kind of comes with the territory. But uh, but yeah, um, so I grew up going to SEC games. Um, I believe I've been to every SEC stadium except Missouri. Because they're a little bit newer. Yeah. I've been to A and M though. Uh, college, yeah. Kyle Field, you like Ooh, it? Kyle Field's amazing. Yeah. You ever it see is Manziel? Incredible. I did see Manziel in person at Old Miss. He beat Old Miss at Old Miss. Uh huh. And what, uh, was it 2013? Do you oh, remember? Man. Is it where he threw that corner route touchdown? I think so. Pretty much seal the game. Yeah, and and I'll tell you what happened that game. Oh, I'll have to remember his name. Oh, I, okay, I remember his name. I, I hope I get this right. So I'm sitting there. Um, this is in Oxford. This is in Oxford, and I'm sitting there, and um, obviously Johnny Football is you know the man, the man at the at the time, and uh, you know A and M's killing Ole Miss. It's it's a good game, but you know they're winning. And about I want to say it was the third or fourth quarter. I'm sitting in the SEC section, right, and I'm actually sitting next to one of my high school football coaches, Coach Taylor. Um, who is a lifelong Old Miss fan, and uh, my dad gave him one of the tickets um, because you know we only have he only has a couple tickets each game. So we're sitting there, and this dude, this this dude with a buzz cut and a gigantic ring on on his right hand comes into our section, right? And people are losing their minds, screaming, wanting his autograph. Like people are like going nuts. And we're like, what is going on? And this dude literally passes right in front of me. Like, he, like, brushes in front of me. I mean, he is drunk and, like, you know, having a big old time. Long story short, it's Marshall Henderson. The basketball basketball player. player. And I didn't recognize him because, you know, when he did all that stuff, he had that gross hair. He had that that longer, like, that, that big old head of hair or whatever he had. And he had buzzed it. Oh, so man. I didn't recognize him, but I mean, he was a god there in in Oxford. Um, but yeah, that you know, I, I've seen I've seen pretty much all of it. You know, yeah. Uh, the craziest for sure is is uh, Death Valley at night. If anyone's oh, wondering, no kidding. Yeah, for sure. No kidding. So you would not want to play at LSU at, at a night game as an opponent. It, that that would probably be the toughest environment. I would say, yeah. No kidding. Okay, now why do you say that? The, I mean, compared to, I mean, the, the volume, the, the volume, really? j- j- I mean, I mean, the volume for one and the passion of the fans, too. Let me tell you something about Go Kale. Tigers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Go Tigers. Um, the, the passion of the fans is just incredible. I mean, I remember, man, it was like four or five, maybe even six years ago, I went to the Auburn LSU game. And remember, back in the day, the, the, the earthquake game was Auburn LSU. And actually, my grandfather had that game. He was an official in that game. Side oh, yeah. note, but um, this is a huge rivalry: Tigers versus Tigers. Yeah. You know, it, it's a it's a big big rivalry, and it was a seven o'clock kickoff or something like that. 
And when I tell you, like, I've lived in Nashville my whole life. I've been to lots of concerts, you know, loud environments. That was, without a doubt, probably the loudest environment I've been in. Like, it was no it, deafening. Yeah, deafening. It was so cool. Um, you know, and, and I was, you know, just blown away. And, and this was uh, when the Honey Badger was at the height oh. of his powers. <laughs> oh, go Chiefs. Oh, we love the honey badger. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you know, I hey, you know, I, I root for the Chiefs too. I'm a huge Mahomes fan. You know, I have no, oh, I have man. no, I know you, you're an actual Chiefs fan. I just yeah. root, I just root for for We're some so players blessed. in the NFL. Uh, I'm a big Mahomes and, and Tyreek Hill fan. Yeah, and even and honestly, and Honey Badger, he really is the Mahomes of the defense. He is. He, he, he is. He doesn't get the re- the way the respect because he's not a he's not the huge player on the team. But I mean that dude is a leader, man, and oh, he man. really doesn't miss tackles. I no, could imagine yeah. watching him in college when he was arguably, I mean, better overall. He was more yeah. versatile. He was in up college. for the Heisman. Yeah, he was up for the he Heisman was, yeah. as a defensive player. When you're up for the Heisman yeah. as a defensive player, that's a huge deal. And he deal. was a big return specialist too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, yeah, he's awesome. Uh, he was awesome. But um, dude, there's just something about like that that you know. When I was in the stands, and when these Cajuns get ready for a seven o'clock kickoff, <laughs> they start drinking at eight o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, I mean, the these before, people, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah the day before, <laughs> these people are murdered drunk. Okay, <laughs> and I'm sitting there. I'm actually alone. I don't have anyone else. I, I am alone. I I don't have other officials, uh-huh. wives, or anything. I'm pretty much alone in the stadium. Like I don't know anyone, and so I'm literally just taking everything, and I have no one to talk to. Almost. Um. And uh, they start playing Colin Baton Rouge, which is the song that they stormed the field to. Dude, dude, I'm telling you, it was the loudest. Dude, it was so loud. It was so, I mean, it, it was awesome. It was it was yeah. awesome. But, uh, but yeah, if, if I were to say the craziest environment would be Death Valley at night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so I guess I guess shout out to any LSU fans out there, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, it, it's pretty pretty special. Yeah. Man. So even going to all those different environments, go to different campuses, and kind of seeing the inner workings of what makes the SEC the SEC, and really it is football. It's not just sport. I mean, it, it is football. Uh, you don't want to go to an SEC college. You know, you know, I really thought about it. Um, and I really was pretty dead set against going to a, a smaller school like like Lipscomb specifically. Um, but when I got to be a senior, I kind of realized that the state school environment wasn't really for me. I didn't really want to, uh, you know, I don't want to say subject myself to that, but it just wasn't my personality. Um, so I looked at Harding University in Searcy, Belmont University here in Nashville, and Lipscomb University. And Lipscomb was at the bottom of my list. Yeah. After I toured all three, I really liked Belmont and I really liked Lipscomb. But I mean, at the end of the day, it came down to like um, I had more friends and knew more people that were going to Lipscomb, and I had a ton more of um, academic scholarship for Lipscomb. I really did, and um, Belmont's already expensive as it is. Belmont's already yeah. expensive as it is, yeah. So it really came down to that, and man, it, it just really seemed like a God thing, man. It, um, it couldn't have worked out better, you know. Um, I loved my my four years at Lipscomb, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So yeah, cool, man. All right. So what else are you interested? Let's let's get into it. So a quick back backstory a little bit on Michael, okay, and how we kind of how we know each other. Yeah. Let's um, get into that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to this day, it's something that we've done now. This is our ninth year. Ninth year, and yeah. I had I had breakfast. Oh gosh, it was yesterday. It feels like a week ago. 
I had breakfast with uh, two of my friends, their sisters, in uh, Memphis yesterday. Mm-hmm. And they asked something about it. I was going home. I had to be home by today. And uh, I don't know how it came up. And I said, well, for my cotillion job in Nashville. And like, what's cotillion? Like, I swear everyone knows this. <laughs> yeah. That I do that. You, you think and, everyone knows yeah, it. Yeah, like, you should know cotillion. Well, you think that. You should. And then you start talking. And then you go, I'm sure I've mentioned it at some point in passing. And every t- about every time I bring it up, people go, oh, I didn't know you do that. What, you do that? Yeah. So, how would how, number one, how would you define cotillion and then i can talk about how we kind of know each other well number one i would say it's basically ballroom dancing i mean that 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 is probably the number one thing we do is ballroom dancing Uh we do teach manners it is a manners course it is you know etiquette how to treat a lady you know how to how to conduct yourself at a at a nice meal at a dinner right um all those things um, but I mean, <laughs> dude, how, how do you describe it? I mean, it, it is, it is literally, we have, um, kids they're, and they're six and seven graders. Yeah, yeah. And we teach them etiquette mm-hmm. and it is not, it, it, it is actually just as difficult as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. And, and COVID helped us out a ton because oh, now man. we're not looking at 120 kids a class. It's 30. Yeah, and they're not allowed to touch each other. Yeah, and yeah. which is they don't want to, but we had to force them before. Yeah, you're pretty much making a bunch of sixth and seventh graders, um, not try to be interested, but to try to help their hour and a half class. Yeah, fly by because they don't want to be there. You don't they wouldn't want, be there if you paid them. And, you, yeah. and, and if they're misbehaving, you don't want them <clears throat> you to don't be want there. Them there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're a hindrance at that point. Right. Uh, and the thing about 126 graders in the room. Is there's not one of them misbehaving, there's half of them misbehaving. Because yeah. if one misbehaves, yeah. they feed off the other and like a go, virus. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go, oh wait, so that flies. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. I know is when my kids are of that age, I'm gonna be father of the year. Yeah. I'm gonna have to hand them over to my wife for the first eleven years. When they <laughs> haven't produced two years. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> and then after that, back to the wife or to military school. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we do cotillion. We do cotillion, yeah. And, and that, that's how our, we got to know each other. That's our, yeah, that, that's, yeah our that's where we met year. each other. And uh, Turns out we went to Lipscomb for a couple years together, but didn't, we, know, it, didn't know each you other. You were then. in the grade above me. Probably. Yeah, you were. You were in the grade above me. I actually have here in the, the yearbook. I have the yearbook here. We might actually bring it out later. We might have know. to. We might have to. Um, but I have <laughs> it here, yeah. You were in the grade <laughs> above me. Um, but yeah, you you went to you went to Independence and I went to Lipscomb. Yeah. Uh, actually, I went to Lipscomb Academy, not David Lipscomb. I, I almost yeah. said David Lipscomb because I went to David Lipscomb until I think eighth grade then they changed the name changed or something. It. Whatever. Uh, yeah. David Lipscomb. Yeah, because that's one of those I was there. David Lipscomb. Yeah, man. D- David Lipscomb. That's the way. That's the, that's the way I almost say it. You know, that's yeah. the way I instinctively say it is, yeah. is David Lipscomb. David but, Lipscomb. Um, yeah. But yeah, so now now we do cotillion. And, and one reason we've always kind of hit it off. Of course, you look at the spiritual side of things. We're both Christian. We're, right. We both, we like talking about substantial things. Mm-hmm. And Michael and I have spent, I would say, the bulk of most Saturday nights after cotillion. Again, we only get to do cotillion once a month. Right. So it's it's usually when we don't have plans, it's we're going to hang out together. And we spent the bulk of those Saturday nights the last, oh, what do you say, four or five years? Oh, yeah. Smoking cigars mm-hmm. afterwards, and we talk about stuff. Doing what we're doing right doing now. Doing exactly what we're doing right now. But we're doing it recorded now. Yeah. You should have heard the conversation <laughs> we had before this. Yeah, we yeah. We talked things. for like an hour before this. Yeah. Easy. And 
I remember one time, I don't know if we were here um, smoking or if we were at a lounge, but I remember talking about how there was, I wanted to do, um, start like a new interview series of some sort. I thought maybe you were writing and I thought, no, I need to develop into a different platform. And that's when my buddy and I, uh, buddy Austin and I did a podcast a little bit later and I thought, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. And I remember talking with you one time mm-hmm. and we talked through CrossFit and how you wanted to do something as almost right. like a, a ministry or a model of CrossFit uh-huh. of yeah. being more than fitness. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, that would be cool to have something like a podcast where I interview people and like I'd have Michael on and we would talk through that. Yeah. And I would ask you certain questions because we, we both like philosophy. We like history. Yeah. We like stand up comedy. We do love, we love, love stand up comedy. comedy. And you've gotten me more into like movies and TV shows. Yeah. Because you're a huge, I wouldn't even say connoisseur. It, it's like, it's beyond that. It's like <laughs> above or whatever you want to call it. it yeah, you love. So we got to talk. We got a we got a ton to talk about. We do. We got a ton to talk about. Yeah, yeah. We, we've I already we about, already talked about CrossFit. Talk, we've yeah. already talked about. We've already talked about some so stuff. Yeah. Talk about before we get into the meaty issues here. Talk about what you would like to do with CrossFit in mm-hmm. the future if you still have that vision that you had yeah. a couple years ago. Absolutely. About how you want to develop it into something? Yeah. So um, obviously, like I was saying earlier, like um, CrossFit is a huge passion of mine, um, and. Um, CrossFit's one of those things that, um, I, I see myself doing for the rest of my life and, um, except for right now in your boot. <laughs> yeah. Except for right now while I'm actually, I did CrossFit, yeah. uh, to an extent yesterday. The boot. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's something that, that, that everyone can do and that's why I love it. It's so inclusive. Um, people, um, Something that that honestly is probably a pretty good thing for me to go ahead and say here is a lot of people probably watched the CrossFit Games uh, recently. If you didn't catch them, they were on CBS Sports. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and and they they just um, were on about a month ago. And um, maybe some of your listeners saw it. Maybe they didn't. Um, and maybe they have seen previous years of the CrossFit Games or something like that. Um, the CrossFit Games are a beautiful, beautiful representation of what uh, CrossFit can be. Um, and the way I would describe it is um, a lot of people look at the CrossFit Games and may or may not be intimidated. What I would say is when you're watching those people on TV, when you're watching Matt Frazier, Rich Froning, Tia Toomey, um, all these people, you're watching the NBA All-Star Game. Like, you're, you're watching the be- absolute best of the best. Like, you are watching the pinnacle of the sport. And when you walk into your local CrossFit box, wherever you are in the country or in the world, um, there's probably a CrossFit box near you. And whenever you walk in there, it's not it's not the NBA All-Star game. It's people playing pickup basketball, okay? Um, and it is a beautiful, beautiful community of people that work together um, to better themselves and try and better the people around them every day. And that's, what's beautiful about it. Um, so the CrossFit games are awesome because it's the sport aspect of what we do, but it's not all of what it is. Um, so, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty important thing just to hit right off the bat, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of, um, ministry opportunity with CrossFit and the first person I would I would point to would be Rich Froning um, right here in Tennessee um, in Cookville. Um, Rich is a devout Christian um, and is a uh, amazing example for so many people 
and um and he really does so so many like um philanthropy events and fundraisers and things i mean like like even when there was the tornado that hit uh, you know that hit Cookville. He, he, you know, he had a fundraiser event just for that and and help people in his community. Um, and he does it all in the name of God and things like that. So, um, you know, there is a huge market for that in the CrossFit community because um, people in CrossFit they want to, they not only want to like better themselves, they want to yeah. better people around them. Um, so I think that's a really big 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 thing when it comes to like CrossFit and uh, especially like with those like philanthropy things and like uh, bettering your own community. Mm-hmm. I feel like most people in cross in the CrossFit space want to do that. Yeah. So you do want to do more community involvement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would love CrossFit, to. Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, again, that, that can be, that could be years down the road yeah. or, or not, but, um, but yeah, I, it kind of is, is whatever, you know, God puts in my path. So. Man. All right. Let's talk about real quickly. I always like the story. I think about it. It's not. A, it's not a very, very happy story. Okay. But it's when you when you studied abroad. Oh, okay. Um, where all did you go? And then talk about. Did you go to Auschwitz? Where did you go? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when, when I studied abroad, so um, interesting. Uh, yeah. So I studied abroad my sophomore year of college. Um, and uh, I would say. To say I was green behind the ears as to the rest of the world would be a vast understatement. Um, you're, you're born and raised in Nashville, right? Yeah, born and raised in Nashville. Stayed here, been in school here. I had been to London for a week um, prior to this, and that was really my only out of the U.S. experience. Okay. Um, I think I'd been to the Bahamas maybe once. I don't know. I don't even remember. But um, I, I studied abroad, and and I went to so many countries, like maybe 15 different countries. I studied abroad in Vienna, Austria, which I believe is the most beautiful city in all of Europe. Uh, shout out Vienna, Austria. <laughs> um, I don't have any listeners there. <laughs> hey, day, hey, m- maybe one day. Maybe one day, yeah. <laughs> um, it is a beautiful city. I highly recommend it to anyone looking to travel. Um, I love Vienna, but... Um, yeah, I actually did go to Auschwitz. Yeah, I did. Um, and that was... Is it in Poland? Where's Auschwitz? Poland, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I went to Auschwitz 1 and Auschwitz 2, which, uh, they're, they're very, very close to each other. Auschwitz 1 is, um, pretty famous. They still have, like, the gas chambers intact and a lot of the, um... A lot of the barracks and stuff are, are still up, but it's the smaller one. Um, it's kind of like the, um... Uh, like like the the one that you, that you that you see on pictures a lot like yeah. with the gate that says uh you know the 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 words in german above it do you remember what they say i don't remember i yeah, think I it's it, it's something very bleak i think it's like abandoned hope or something it's something very bleak mm-hmm. um something very uh awful but auschwitz too is the one that stands out in my mind that's the one that i really like when i think of auschwitz that's what i think of um that's the one that was really impactful for me. So we went to Auschwitz one and, and clearly it's very, uh, you know, it's heavy. It's very heavy. There's no jokes or smiles or anything. There's like, everyone's quiet and respectful. Auschwitz one is where you go and you see the shoes, you see, Mm -hmm. you see the hair, uh, you know, of, of the people that you have the Jews, um, that, that were taken And that, that is, you know, it, it just hits you. It hits you very, very hard. And then you go to Auschwitz too, and you see the magnitude of it. 
you see the actual size of it. And that's the one with the famous train station. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's the one where I walked into it and it's as far as you can see the barracks, as far as you can see. And at the very back, there are these trees and they don't look huge, but like you, you start walking and by the time you get to the back of of Auschwitz too, these trees are just massive. They're huge. Uh Like, I mean, this thing goes on forever. Um, and it really, like, it hits you in a whole different way when you see the number of barracks. And, like, even the barracks that aren't there anymore that got torn down, like, that were there, though, you see the property. And, like, is like, to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you, it's as far as you can see. And it's just like, man, this was the largest, like, one of the largest systematic genocides in human history yeah. and it happened less than a hundred years ago, you know, and that, that is, you know, it, it really hits you. And I remember I even, you know, I, I didn't really, it, I remember getting back to my hotel that night and I called my dad and just like, you know, talked to him about it because he had been to Auschwitz before and, oh yeah, yeah. And he remembers some of those same feelings that I had. Um, but, uh, He was, he was, um, he was just telling me about, um, you know, how he felt about it when he was there and how long how, ago did he go prior oh, to man, you man, goodness. He, he probably went there 20 years before I did. Okay. Yeah. He, he was there, uh, with my mom, um, a while ago, but, uh, but yeah, Auschwitz is man, one of the most, if not the most impactful, um, places and and experiences I had while I was abroad. Yeah. Does something like that make you doubt your faith or at least challenge your thinking? Um, that's a good question. I would say it definitely, uh, it questions my thinking. It questions my faith in humanity. I would say is the best way to put that. Um, because it showed me for the, for, for, for possibly the first time in my life, it showed me what humans are capable of doing to one another in the most sinister of ways. And that is a really dark place to go. Yeah. Um, and it's a place that, I mean, I feel like most adults understand and, and can, you know, comprehend in a way. But, uh, you know, when you're young like that and you haven't really experienced much of the world and then it kind of you experience that for the first time and you see and you hear the stories about like these, you know, these independent stories and I, I'm not going to go into them, but you know, the, 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 the tour guides that tell you stories of, of true stories that just make your skin crawl that you're like, how can people be so cruel to one another? How, mm-hmm. how, how can there be so much evil in, in, a, in someone's heart? Yeah. Um, it, it, I wouldn't say it made me question my faith or anything. It, it really almost just made me have an appreciation for the presence of evil in the world. I feel like it, it, it made me understand like, hey, there's good in the world. And of course we all know about the good in the world, but there's true evil too. Yeah. There, there, there is a contrast for sure. Like, Man. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Is there anything? Is there anything that you've seen? I mean, that, like in, in your life, that's made you question your faith, or or, or at least made you, or, or at least opened your eyes to what 
um, what evil might be in the world. Um, ooh, um, trying to think, kind of like come to mind. Been to the nine eleven museum in New York. It's unbelievable. I love I, mean, I love museums. You know, of course, you and I love history, um, and love art and stuff. So museums are great. That was one where when we were in New York, um, we were I mean we were action packed. We were like we had these windows of what we were gonna do during what times. Mom's very good about that. Uh, we had seven hours of our day in the nine eleven museum. It was like our day was gone. And I you know I, I wear a watch every day. Yeah. It's like you're so wrapped up in it, you don't bother look. You just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And and, and from an architectural standpoint, it's unbelievable. It's mostly wow. underground. They use a lot of the big retention walls. They're called um, slurry walls that were in the foundation of the original towers. Mm. They have salvaged those, and those are actual parts of the walls to the 9-11 Museum. And a lot of it's very, very contemporary. Beautiful. I, I hope it won every award, like uh, design award it was ever up for. Um, but seeing that, because that was so somber, and also too that hit close to home because that's here in america and new york's an unbelievable city i think it's the greatest city on the planet I haven't right. been to jerusalem yet but i think it's the greatest city on the planet and that was one where you're like wow this happened here and i remember I, I don't remember exactly the day i was five years old i remember at a baseball game that night and i was watching the news and i was in my uniform sitting in the living room with my bat and my mitt over the end of my bat and i'm watching the news and they're, they're talking about that's a recap of the day and the towers mm-hmm. are smoking of course they've fallen at that point yep. that's really all i really remember about 9-11 that was pretty big um i went to the genocide museum in rwanda Ooh, wow! because that was one where so both of those talk about that a little bit the genocide Ooh. museum in rwanda i want to yeah. hear about that <clears throat> man that that was pretty crazy because w- one thing about like w- with hitler and mm-hmm. um like Mein Kampf, just all of it. Right. How efficiently and quietly they were able to just massacre Jews. Mm. It was, in a way, I, I I don't know if it was at the same rate as Rwanda. It was like, um, if I remember right, it was a million people killed in 100 days. Phew. And the thing is, Rwanda is a third of the size of the state of Tennessee. Rwanda's not a big country. Yeah. And their and their main city, the capital's Kigali. And honestly, like it feels smaller than downtown Chattanooga. It doesn't feel big. Yeah. A lot of people there of course, but it doesn't feel big. It's a very small country. Mm-hmm. And to think that many people were killed in that short amount of time, a hundred days, that's not a lot. That's pretty much three months. So yeah. you, you could put a hundred day plan you know for your finances your diet your whatever i mean that's not right. a lot of time so uh and i, I remember one thing they did in there that was was kind of it was, was kind of nice was they showed other genocides they almost like not that they were trying to pay homage to them but it was like hey this isn't the only time this has happened like we can't we can't remember they talked about cambodia um they might have talked some with, with parts like south africa i don't remember mm-hmm. all that was in there that was just pretty crazy because same with nine eleven museum because it's so recent. Mm-hmm. They have stuff there that was around very recently, right? Even stuff like I remember in the nine eleven museum, you go to this one um, part of it where you're not allowed to take any photos, anything, mm-hmm. no nothing. You just yeah. have to walk around. That's where the beams in the shape of the cross are. Yeah. Uh, that is also where there is a f- 
a part of the fuselage of one of the planes. Oh my and it's gosh. and it literally is from me to you. And there's like a little barrier where you walk, but I could reach out and touch it if I wanted, but it's just like this weird I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. But you're looking at this window in this fuselage and you're like the last time this was used, a person was sitting in that window. And you're looking at that window and you at one point in time somebody was sitting behind this window. And then, like the Rwanda Genocide Museum, there's like shackles, mm-hmm. and you're like, the last time somebody was in shackles, like that person's dead now. That person was killed. They were murdered. Yeah. But the last time these shackles were used, they're around somebody's ankles or they're around somebody's wrists. Mm. And you're looking. You're like, the people that would have survived this or been alive during this time, they could be my age. They could be a little older. They could be very cognizant of all of it and remember it all very well. Yeah. So it, it was just kind of. I don't know. It's a reminder of how important history is and how so, we have to commemorate it. We really have to. So did that give you more of an idea of like, did that, did that, is, so, so clearly it didn't like make you question your faith, but did it give you like, did, did it ever, was the idea of evil mm-hmm. ever put in your head? Because, yeah. because that's, that's kind of the, the weird underlying theme that I felt from Auschwitz was just evil. evil. It, it was it, it was weird, but but it's the same thing that you just said about the, about the fuselage, like 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 they they let us go into one of the actual barracks that they kept these that that they kept that they kept these prisoners in that 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 they kept the Jews in, and it was just it was just unbelievable. They showed us the like the latrines they would use and the sleeping quarters, and you're just like, this isn't this isn't the way people treat people this isn't like you know you know it it just almost gave you a different reverence for like like how how can people do this to one another yeah you know like like how can i how could someone do this to their fellow man um just because of someone's different you know religion or race or or anything like how could people treat each other this way um yeah so I definitely. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think I just kept, if I remember right, I think I just kept repeating to myself, like the human heart is a corrupt and dark place. The human heart is a corrupt and dark place. Right. Because, you know, I'm, I'm no psychologist at all, but when you think about somebody like a Hitler or or one of these, just these doctors who sit here and they, and they can create a genocide just out of thin air. Right. How you can, and I don't want to get into all the man, you know, media manipulation and stuff yet, but all, all the stuff that you have to lay, like all the groundwork you have to lay to be able to do it, but also how you get to that point as an individual where you go, okay, I'm going to set out to do this. Or, or where you even get the justification. Exactly. The, the internal justification. Exactly. And you got to think about all, like Hitler, and of course you're not going to, we're not going to sit here and justify any of Hitler's actions, but you think, Hitler didn't just wake up one morning and decide to do it. Yeah. Like I always think about from a spiritual standpoint, not as a scare tactic, but just as like a really like a sober reminder. The only reason Hitler became Hitler is it was just a it was a compounding, you know, like the compounding result of just a bunch of little decisions. Like he said no to things he should have said yes to. He said yes to things he should have said no to. Right. And when you think about it that simply, like he he continued to make the wrong decision. And it, and it continued to take him down that path. And so there is that individual accountability. He did it. But at the same time, like if you're not aware of what you're looking at and what you're doing and the implications and the repercussions mm-hmm. those decisions have, 
Like it wasn't created overnight. That was years in the making. Right. Even the stuff like when you look at how they turned the entire country against the Jewish race mm-hmm. and other Slavics and Eastern European stuff like that. Think of all the groundwork they had to lay where even like the classism dispute in Rwanda, it's the, the, the uh, Tutsis and the Hutus. And these people were neighbors and even married in each other's families. It was enough of them just sitting there just pretty much chiseling away at their minds about how bad something was that they finally started throwing out like, well, I've known this person for so long, but the, the more I'm hearing this, then, okay, the, the, the more I'm, I'm just going to believe it now. And it's like right. you, you turn on a Jewish friend or neighbor or a Hutu, whatever, that you've known your whole life because of a, a couple months of people you don't know in power telling you to think that way, which is a, that that's only kind of the thing, man, the, the human heart, the fact that it can even just naturally go that way, it has to be dark. And it's scary because it's, that's not where we're at right now, thankfully, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of the same tactics in play because the human condition has never changed. So the question I would, I would ask then is, um, you know, Hitler, let's, let's take him for example, while, while we're on, while we're on it, um, how much of it is him truly being actually evil and how much is it like we talked about this actually earlier before the podcast started, how much is it of him being a product of his own environment, of his own upbringing? When, when all, you know, when, when, when Hitler was rising to power, we were talking about him being the AP man of the year. Like, like, I mean, he was loved in Germany. He was almost, he, he was loved, he was loved almost globally. Uh, he was. Um, he was in power for years before the war. Exactly. People forget that, yeah. Where, where, where did it go wrong? Because um, even when, like, like, let's take when, he, when Auschwitz and, and all that w- was, was in play when all that was going yeah. on. If you went up to Hitler and you said, Hey Hitler, you're a bad guy. You're evil. You're not doing good things. What Hitler would say back to you in, you know, in so many words would be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm doing the right thing. Right. Like, like, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a good thing. You know, right. the Aryan race, he, he, like he, he would lay out to you all the things why he's doing good. Yeah. Um, and I think all that comes back to, if we want to bring it back to Christianity real quick, um, there's a phenomenal book that any of your listeners I would recommend to them. It's called Dinner with Skeptics, and it's by Jeff Vines. It's one of the best books I've ever, I've ever read. Dinner with Skeptics. Dinner with Skeptics by Jeff, Jeff Vines. Vines. Um, phenomenal. He's actually a preacher. Um, and uh, it's a true story of his. But, but um, Jeff Vines goes into this idea of like you know if, if you were to go up to Hitler and say you know hey like you're doing bad things you're a bad guy but he's saying I'm actually a good guy when in reality he's you know morally you know he's doing the wrong thing well why do you know that you know any of your listeners you know I don't think any of them or anyone in the world would argue that Hitler's Hitler did good things when he was in that position but he was arguing that he was but that's because we all have this internal uh, compass of right and wrong. Right. Where does that come from? And that's Jeff Vine's argument that the only place that the that the internal moral compass of right and wrong, um, it, it it has to come from 
a, a divine source because something external, something external, something not from this world. Um, because you can say, oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's wrong. Um, well, well, where does that come from? Right. Where does that moral law? I think that's that's one of the ways he puts it is moral law. Where does that come from? Where does that derive from? Um, and I think I think as 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 people, we have to kind of take a step back and look at that um, because we know things are good. We know things are bad. Um, yeah. We know the things that we should do to others. We know the things that we shouldn't do to, uh, to, to others. Even from a very young age, we know that. Yeah. But where does that come from? Um, where does that instinct um, come from? And, and Jeff Vines argues that it, that it comes from God. There's, that's the only place it can come from, um, which is a very interesting argument. I'm not saying it's the correct argument. I'm saying it's a fascinating argument yeah. that I love to listen to. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of food for thought on top of that. But, yeah, um, if anyone wants to go <laughs> pick up that book, I definitely recommend it. It Dinner is with Dinner with Skeptics. Um, it's, a, it's, a ba- it's basically a true story of him going, to, small plug for the book, uh, yeah. him going to Australia. Oh, wow. Um, and him going, uh, uh, him going to this hotel, and if you know, in Australia, the number one growing religion is no religion. It's atheism. And he goes to this very fancy five-star hotel, and uh, basically the manager of the hotel finds out he's a preacher. He's there for work because he's a preacher, and invites him to dinner with all of the hotel staff. Oh, wow. And they're all atheists, non-believers. And the whole reason he was invited to dinner was so they could tear him apart. Nice. Um, and destroy him and make him feel like an idiot. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything from the book, but this book ends with someone getting baptized. Oh, wow. At the end of it. That's so cool. it, it, I, I need to read it. Yeah. It, 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 it is a really great book. So, yeah, we can we can move on from that. But yeah. uh, it's very, you know, that idea of, you know, uh, evil, right and wrong, uh, what is good? What is bad? It's a very, very interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's it. It is a endlessly fascinating subject. Endlessly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you never, you never actually get to a concrete answer because even no. as a Christian, like I, I know what I believe and maybe why I believe it, but the, the, like the more you're questioning and the more you're discussing and you know debating with people, the more you even go, well, what, what if I am wrong? You know, like what? And I think that, and there has to be room for that, right? I was, I was brought up in a in a Christian home because my parents were brought up in a Christian home, and I was. But what if I wouldn't have been brought up in Christian? Would I still believe that and think that? Would I see a whole different side to things and be set in those ways for whatever I I thought maybe good reasons? That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, and and there's stuff too. I think like with Hitler, are you are 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 you a product of your environment, or are you or or are you an independent thinker? That's that's part of what people have to think of as 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 an individual. Am I just adopting the ideologies of my parents and my yeah. upbringing, or am I adopting my own specific thoughts and feelings and ideas from what I believe and from from what I see and from what I experience and from my own personal experiences with yeah. others? Um, yeah, just don't be, gosh, don't, don't be a cookie cutter of your environment. Um, ask questions. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. Go outside the box. Don't just be 
Like, oh yeah, all my friends think this way, so I'm going to think this way. Oh, my parents and the rest of my family think this way, so I'm going to think this way. Like, no, be independent. Think for yourself, because nothing great has ever come from conformity. (laughs) Original ideas are are basically the basis of all innovation. So, Yeah, very true. Man, yeah, all great stuff, all great stuff. Um, I'd say, what what kind of... um, Political or social issues are, are a hot topic on Michael Thomas's mind right now. Oh, but either whether Dude. you're changing your, your thoughts on them or you're just processing, just thinking about. It. Well, the first thing I'm thinking about right now is the election. That's that's literally. I mean, I mean, I mean, as far as issues yeah. or anything goes, honestly, all of my personal opinions fall by the wayside because this election was crazy, man. Um, the number one thing I took away from this election was um, I cannot believe how divided we are as a country. Um, and it breaks my heart, yeah. honestly, because I love this country so much. I love uh, America. I love the United States. I love our freedoms. Um, and I don't want to see us divided like this. Um, you know, whether you are far right, whether you are far left, there there just needs to be a way that we can all get along because this past uh, political climate in this election has just ripped us apart like nothing other. And granted, I think some of that you have to dedicate to COVID because I think a lot of us had some pent up aggression that we needed to take out on someone. Right. Um, So I think some of that can be, you know, chalked up to that, but a lot of it needs to be chalked up to, man, this two-party system is broken, and we really, really have a lot of hatred on both sides, and, and um, you know, we were saying before the podcast started, I said, a house divided cannot stand, and guess what? That's not an original thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's biblical, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln even yeah. said it. it, you know, a house divided cannot stand, and, w- and it will not stand. Um, so, uh, man, it just, whew, I, I, I would really love to see our country come together. Uh, you know, I, I mean, gosh, I don't care, uh, who, who, who your, who the president is or, uh, who your mayor is or who, yeah. who, who, you know, whatever elected official you want to put in the blank. But, um, at the end of the day, we're neighbors at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, we're all Americans. We're not Democrats. We're not Republicans. We're Americans. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, there just there just needs to be more people giving that message out. And 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 I wish that there would be a politician or even a political party, if as crazy as that sounds. But there needs to be more people giving that message out. Like like let's let's unify. Let's be united. Wait, <gasps> wait, wait. In the, the name. name? <laughs> Wait a second. Hold on. Yeah, like like controversial. Let's, <laughs> you know, I mean that that's the I mean of 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 I mean political issues specifically. Whether you want to talk about gay marriage, uh, legal legalization of marijuana, abortion, or or whatever it is, it doesn't matter what subject it is. Socially, it doesn't matter how you think the country should be run economically, how you think it should be run, you know, structurally, you know. Um, foreign relations, um, all that stuff, like, you know, at the end of the day, 
whoever's president, guess what? The world's going to go around. The world's still going to go around. The world's not going to burn down. Um, sun's going to come up tomorrow. And when the sun comes up tomorrow, that guy that you were cussing out on Twitter and acting a fool and, you know, whatever, you know, he's your neighbor. Um, he's another American and, um, quite frankly, the rest of the, of the superpowers of the world, like Russia and China and all of them, they're pointing fingers at us and laughing. Like, look at them, look at them. They have to be. Look at the cannibalism. They're, 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 they're laughing. So it's it's like the tigers eating their own cubs Mm -hmm. is what it feels like. So we've got to, we've got to find a middle ground eventually. And I'll be honest with you, Michael. I think one of the only things we have left, and I've been saying this for a couple years, but it always gets more and more true every day. Uh-huh. One of the only things we have left is stand-up comedy. I've got to say it. <laughs> comedy is about all we... It really... It almost it is really the universal is. healer. It, dude, it really is. And like I always think art is a reflection of the time period in which it was created. Mm. And stand-up comedy... I'm going to go on my little soapbox real quickly before we talk stand-up comedy. Dude, I, I need you to go on a big soapbox. I don't need it to be a little oh, one. Here we go. I, I love stand-up comedy. I listen to several stand-up specials a week, as I'm sure you do too. Mm-hmm. And when my first podcast, double major podcast, it was it was comedy and a quick backstory. And that one reason I really got into it was when we, not to brag, but we honestly got in at Ground Zero with podcasts. This is probably 2017. Mm-hmm. Nobody we knew did podcasts. We got reasonably big for what it was, and when we had to pick a genre for it, my buddy Austin goes, "Well." You know, we're looking at all the stuff we want to talk about. We are talking about, and this is to get approved on iTunes, Spotify. We have to pick a genre, and we picked comedy. And the thing about comedy is, like, once you selected that, there's no going back, right? Because comedy, especially stand-up comedy, having never done it, and probably, probably never will, yeah, frankly, uh, (laughs) it takes a lot of courage. It is the one thing where you come out and you, before you've ever done anything, you've let these people know. This is what I'm doing. Therefore, this is the desired and expected result. And if it doesn't happen, I failed. Like mm-hmm. you're already like a leg down. And so when we put it comedy on the podcast, I was like, well, shoot, something about it's got to be humorous. You don't have to laugh at every line, but it, it's got to be something like light. It's got to be funny. It's just got to be enjoyable. It's got to be humorous. There's got to be something with like its timing and its topics and its relevance. So one thing I did, which I was already interested in, I started listening watching evaluating watching interviews watching documentaries on stand-up comedy and really got into it and the more i was seeing stuff happening in pc like the whole pc culture which i think is absolutely ridiculous because now i I don't want to get on on a whole other tangent but it's like the way we're defining things or lack thereof it's one of those things where it's like if every single thing is hate speech then nothing is hate speech and if somebody says something you don't like and you want to cancel them for that in the name of tolerance, and it's like we're never going to get anywhere. And so, the the more that that is evolving and kind of determining the way that we put articles up online, report news, interact with each other, run businesses. I mean, every institution now has been infiltrated by it. You think, dude, the only thing we absolutely have left is comedy. They're the ones kind of hanging in the balance, like pulling both ends back together. Like, hold on, hold on. Here's a funny bit about a dictator. Hold on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And comedy is just one of those where it's like it, it's it's a reflection of what's going on now. Oh man, I oh, yeah. love comedy, and it, it's it's, it's got to be from an integrity standpoint. It's got to be the purest art form. I really I really do think so because it is like everyone knows what it's supposed to do, and if it doesn't, you're going out to a crowd that probably doesn't like you, 
The second you start to flop, they're going to let you know that they don't like you. You're going to leave discouraged and you go, all that, none of that material worked. That was it. Like I went out there to do something I thought was good and I was hated from the moment I started and I, I'm in a worse spot now than I was before. How do I climb out of this hole? You don't really have that in most other art forms. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Let's talk about stand-up comedy.